0: Now we'll turn to this chapter. It's Second Samuel chapter twenty-one, the verse fifteen. Moreover, the Philistines had yet war again with Israel, and David went down and his servants with him, and fought against the Philistines, and David waxed faint and this Bebinob which was of the sons of the giant the weight of whose spear weighed three hundred shekels of brass and weight he being girded with a new sword thought to have slain David and Abishai the son of Zeruiah succored him and smote the Philistine and killed him then the men of David swear unto him, saying, Thou shalt go no more out with us to battle, that thou quench not uh, the light of Israel. And it came to pass after this that uh, there was again a battle with the Philistines at Gob, in Sibekai, the Hushaphite. Slew Seth, which was of the sons of the giant. There was again a battle in Gob with the Philistines, where El Hanan, the son of Um, Ja'ar-e-Oregon, you could take two or three turns at that name, couldn't you? That has to be one of the specialities in the Bible. A Bethlehemite slew brother of Goliath the Gittite, staff of whose spear was like a weaver's beam. And there was yet a battle in Gath, where was a man of great stature that had in every hand six fingers, in every foot six toes, four and twenty in number, He also was born to the giant. And when he defied Israel, Jonathan, the son of the Shimea, the brother of David, slew him. These four were born to the giant in Gath and fell by the hand of David, by the hand of his servants. Praise the Lord for the reading of his word. You can see how the hand of God was with David, spared him, helped him and brought him through those times and all of us can look back today, fittingly, over past years and say, thank you Lord for your hand there, unmistakably. Thank you there for your hand in our lives, even for the Saviour's namesake. sake. Amen.
1: Let's turn, please, to Second Samuel, Second Samuel chapter 21, and we're going to just look at the second part of the chapter, the portion that was read for us, a little bit earlier on. So let's unite our hearts together. I want to speak very simply this morning upon the subject, when there is no let up, when there is no let up. And it seems that as you're going through life, it's one struggle after another, One battle followed by another, one trial in the heels of another, one giant rising up as another one falls. And it seems perhaps in your Christian experience and in the journey of life generally that there is no let up. And that's our subject for this morning, when there is no let up. Let's pray together as we again consider some of the great giants that we face. Let's pray for God's help. For God's grace and God's speaking voice. Let's pray together. Loving God and everlasting Father, we thank thee that the apostle could say, even concerning the scriptures of truth, that whatsoever things were written aforetime, were written for our learning, that we may have hope. And we thank thee, O God, that whatever we're going through in life's journey, whatever giants we face, Whatever battles, Lord, we find ourselves in, we rejoice, O God, that there is always something in the Scriptures of truth to give us hope that there is victory, grace, and deliverance in whatever situation we find ourselves in. So, loving Father, I pray that the Spirit of God will open our hearts to the word of truth and open our eyes to behold wondrous things out of Thy law, Give great help as the word of God is open just now. And grant the anointing of the Spirit of God, the special help of the Comforter, upon preacher and hearer alike. And speak to every heart. Glorify thy Son, for it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Sin always has consequences and long-term effects. The Word of God begins in this particular chapter, 2 Samuel 21, speaking about the sin of King Saul. At the end of the first verse, it speaks of how Saul slew the Gibeonites. And because of Saul's sin, there were three years of famine in the land of Israel. Three years of barrenness. Three years, whenever the harvest, if there was a harvest at all, was very meager to say the least, God's servant David and many others were wondering why it was so, why such barrenness, why all of this drought and all of this famine, why is nothing really happening in the land? And it became evident that it was because of Saul's sin in slaying the Gibeonites. David is a wise man. David longs for the blessing of God in the nation once again. And so to put things right between himself and the Gibeonites, he goes down in verse number 3 and asks them the question, What shall I do for you? And wherewith shall I make the atonement, that ye may bless the inheritance of the Lord? And they make their reply in verse number 6 concerning Saul's sons, Let seven men of his sons be delivered unto us, and we will hang them up unto the Lord in Gibeah. And so Saul's sins have not only had a negative impact upon the nation, but they have had a very solemn impact at last upon his home and upon his family. Dear friends, this morning the effects of our sins... Upon her loved ones, upon her families, and even upon the work of God and upon the nation can be long lasting and ultimately severe. In verses 8 and 9, Saul's sons are put to death, and it says that that took place in verse 9 in the beginning of the barley harvest. And so the harvest of sin in Saul's family was severe. Verses 10 through 14, David brings the bones of Saul and Jonathan to Benjamin and buries them there. And having done all of these things right and an effort to put things right before God, it begins at the end of verse number 14 with the words, And after that, God was entreated for the land. So it was a new beginning for the land and nation of Israel again. And God began to answer prayer mightily. And God's Spirit began to move, but still there were battles to fight, and still there were giants to face. If only there was one or two giants in the Christian life, we would sometimes be able to go through calmer waters. But sometimes, whenever we have faced and fought a Goliath, and we enjoy rest for a little while, and we enjoy prosperity, and maybe God brings us to the mountaintop again we discover ultimately there are more battles to fight and there are more giants to face. And sometimes it seems absolutely relentless as we live the Christian life. And from verse number 15, God being entreated for the land once again, things having been put right, blessing ensues, then there are still more battles. And it From verse 15 down to verse number 22, there are four more battles, four more giants, four more victories to be won in the experience of David. When there seems to be no let-up. Is that your experience today? Fighting battles and facing giants again and again and again. And you wonder, is there never going to be any let-up? As we think about the closing words of 2 Samuel 21, just a few things that I want you to notice. A few simple lessons, if you like. First lesson is this. The battles waged can be numerous. The battles waged can be numerous. Verse number 15 opens with the words, Moreover, the Philistines had war again with Israel." Verse number 18, and it came to pass after this that there was again a battle with the Philistines. Verse number 19, and there was again a battle in Gob with the Philistines. And then verse number 20, and there was yet a battle in Gath. Four times in just six verses, the children of Israel had battle with the Philistines. That old enemy seem to raise its ugly head again and again and again. And just as one battle is coming to an end, or there's a, a short time of peace then, the Philistines rise up again against the nation of Israel and the battles waged in the Christian life as well can be numerous. And maybe you've been fighting a battle in your Christian life. And it seems that that battle comes to an end and you relax for a little while. You get your breath back. You sit back. You enjoy a time of rest, relatively speaking. And then all of a sudden there's another battle rises up. And then another and then another. It might be with ill health. It might be with depression or discouragement. It might be with a problem in the home or in the family. It might be a trial in the workplace. It might be something in your prayer life. It might be a besetting sin in the Christian life. It might be trial. It might be tribulation. It might be temptation. And it seems that we're either leaving a battle to go into another or in the midst of a battle that is very real. These battles were all fought against the Philistines. The Philistines were fiercely warlike. Paul the Apostle spoke about a thorn in the flesh and the Philistines were like a thorn in the side of the nation of Israel. They were pagans. They were heathens. They worshipped a false god called Dagon, the fish god, half man and half fish. And they despised the God of Israel. And they despised Jehovah and his people. And many times in the Bible, the Philistines are referred to as the uncircumcised Philistines, and the thought behind that is that they were very sensual, they were very much a fleshly people, and they were diametrically opposed to the circumcised children of Israel. Circumcision speaks of the flesh being cut off. The Bible speaks about the circumcision of the heart. And there are battles to be fought against forces and principalities and powers That are absolutely and openly opposed and contrary to the Christian. The child of God is to be different from the spirit of the age. The child of God is to be distinct from the world. The Christian is to be opposed to false religion and to be separated from it. The child of God is to be separated from the spirit of the age. The Christian is to be spiritual rather than fleshly. And if you're endeavoring to be the very best that you can be for God, you can be sure that the spirit of the Philistines will rise up against you, and there will be battles to fight in the Christian life. The enemy is ever waging war against the child of God. Make no mistake about that. A.W. Tozer had a little book entitled, This World, and then a question, Playground or Battleground? And this world for the child of God is not a playground. This world that we're living in for the Christian is a battleground, and there's a battle going on, the battle of the ages, between the forces of darkness and the forces of truth and righteousness. And Paul reminds the church at Ephesus that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And Paul speaks about the fiery darts of the wicked. He speaks about the wiles of the devil. And he exhorts the child of God to put on the whole armor of God. And if you ever found yourself in the place of prayer, or maybe before you get to the place of prayer, feeling the fiery darts of the wicked, those thoughts and those accusations that enter into your mind, those fiery darts were like arrows, and they put tar on, on the arrow just behind the tip of the arrow, and they set it in fire. So whatever the arrow hit it, not only penetrated, but stuck to and set on fire. And often a a war can be waged in our mind that sets a, a fire in our hearts that rages against us, and we feel that we're going to get consumed. And so Paul says, take on to you the whole armor of God. Put on the helmet of salvation. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. Lift the shield of faith. Take the sword of the Spirit and all of the other pieces of armor and carefully meditate upon them and put them on and remind yourself of what you are in Christ and gird up the loins of your mind. We're not to be surprised whenever we find ourselves in the midst of a very real battle. And sadly many children of God are no longer wanting to fight the battle. And they're giving in and they're yielding up their sword and they're setting down the shield of faith and they're taking the armor off and they're lying down because they think it's easier just to give in to the spirit of the world and the spirit of the age rather than stand up and go on and go through with God. David was a man after God's own heart. And if you've got a heart for God today and a burden to walk with God and a desire to please Him and serve Him, You shouldn't be surprised if the enemy opposes you. The battles waged can be numerous. Secondly, the giants faced can be plenteous. Every battle that is spoken of here at the end of 2 Samuel 21, each battle had a giant that was unique and particular to the battle that David found himself in. And as soon as one giant was defeated another giant rose up immediately in its place. And sometimes the next giant was greater and larger and stronger and more mighty, it seems, than the previous one. David defeated Goliath. And yet for the rest of his life, there was giant after giant after giant. Sometimes the giants were political. Sometimes the giants were circumstantial. Sometimes the giants were physical. Sometimes the giants were spiritual. Sometimes the giants were emotional. Sometimes the giants were even in his own home and in his own family. Sometimes the giants were giants of despair. Sometimes the giants were giants of deception. Sometimes the giants were giants of division. And yet every time David fought and defeated a giant another giant enters in and stands on the stage and stands on the arena before David. David's life was one of battles and one of giants. He defeated Goliath. And yet here in this portion of Scripture, we read about another four giants that David had to face. And many people believe that was the reason why, from that little brook, David gathered five smooth stones because he knew that there were many more giants than just Goliath. And dear friends, in our land, in our nation, in our churches, and in our homes, and in our lives, and in our hearts, and in our minds, the giants sometimes just keep coming. They seem to be relentless. Sometimes they seem to be plenteous. And it seems that these giants that we read about in this portion of Scripture, at least, they came to David and opposed David at the latter end of David's life. David, it seems, was... A little bit more on in years than he had been whenever he fought against Goliath. It says in verse number 17 that Abishai said to David, thou shalt no more go out with us to battle that thou quench not the light of Israel. David, you're not as young as you once were. You're an aged man. But yet at the end of David's life, these giants, these battles. And I believe that at the end of our life's journey. Especially if we're still walking with God, the enemy will still want to come and oppose us. And in these last days that we're living in, the Bible says, this know also that in the latter days, in the last days, perilous times shall come. And there are giants at work in our nation today. Giants that are standing against the church of Jesus Christ. Numerous and plenteous. Each with their own individual Characteristics. In verse number 16, you've got the first giant, Ishbabenob, one who dwells at Nob. He had a huge spear and a large sword. He was very intimidating. The Bible says in verse 16 that he thought to have slain David. That's his desire to kill God's servant, to destroy David. And didn't our Lord say to Simon Peter, Simon, Simon, Satan hath desired to have thee that he might sift thee as wheat. The enemy cometh to steal and to kill and to destroy. Then verse number 18, you've got another giant called Saph. His name means threshold. And these giants are all named, it seems. They're well-known amongst the Philistines and they're well-known to the children of Israel. Then verse number 19, you've got another giant. It came to pass after this that there was a battle with the Philistines at Gob and Sibachi, the Hushathite slew Saph, which was of the sons of the giant. Verse 19, another giant, the brother of Goliath the Gittite. And we read in 1 Chronicles 20 that this giant's name was Lame, which means he was a warrior. And then just after he's defeated, in verse number 20, there was yet a battle in Gath where there was a man of great stature. And this giant, it says, on every hand had six fingers, and on every foot he had six toes. Twenty-four digits in total. I'm sure he would have made a good piano player, a good organist, a good guitarist with all of those fingers. And yet he was maybe the biggest giant of all. And he was the last giant, that seemed, that David would have to face. One giant after another. And it says in verse number 22, These four were born to the giant in Gath. The giants were plenteous. And in the Christian life, the battles can be numerous. The giants as well can be plenteous. And you'll notice as well in verse number 15, that the weakness manifested can be serious. The battle's weeds can be numerous. The giant's face can be plenteous. The weakness manifested can be serious. It says in verse number 15, at the end of the verse, David waxed, faint. David got tired. David got weary. He wasn't a young man anymore. He's well stricken in years. His youthful days are gone. He's not as strong as he once was physically. He doesn't have the same stamina, the same agility that he once had. His faculties are not as sharp as they once were. Matthew Henry said, his body could not keep peace with his mind. Whenever I was in Bible college, I remember the Reverend Whiteside used to often say to us young men, he says, you know, getting old is not for sissies. And I used to think about that, and I used to wonder, what must it be like to get old? And then you get past 40, and your teeth aren't so good. seems you're always having to go to the dentist. The hearing's not as sharp as it once was. The eyesight's not as good as it once was. You roll out of bed in this morning, and the back's a bit sore, and there's joint pain. And boy, you, you feel, don't you, what it's like to get old? And whenever you get a little bit on in years, you don't have the strength or the stamina or the vitality that you once had. Paul says that the inner man is renewed day by day. The inner man, the spiritual man, gets stronger. But the outer man gets weaker. And so there's this kind of battle that goes on. And David began to get faint. He began to get weary. The word faint means that his strength began to flee away. He's on the battlefield. He's fighting the Lord's battles. He's not giving up. He's not laying down his sword. But oh, the body uh, gets so weary and, and begets so weakened. And the best of Christians can grow weary. The best of Christians can feel weak. The best of Christians can get tired. And the best of Christians can feel downcast. The Bible speaks of God's servant Gideon. As he went out to pursue the Midianites... The Bible says he was faint and yet pursuing. He's still marching on. He's still pressing onwards and upwards. But we felt so weak and so faint and so weary and so tired. In 1 Samuel chapter 30, we read about David coming back from another battle. He comes to his uh, safe haven, a place called Ziklag, and it says that he saw that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag, smitten Ziklag, burned it with fire. They'd taken the women captives. They'd carried them away. They'd taken the children away as well. David lifted up his voice and began to weep. And the people wept with him. And then David was greatly distressed because after they were all weeping, they turned around to David and said, David, this is all your fault. And God's people began to speak of stoning David. And David was greatly distressed. And then David began to pray and said, Lord, what shall I do? And God said, David, pursue. Go after the Philistines. Go after the enemy once again. Go after the Amalekites this time, David. Go towards the south. And David pressed on and David pursued. And then it says David became so, so tired and so hungry and so faint that he could not go on another step. Is that you today? Tired and weary and frustrated? And maybe it seems the enemy has come in like a flood and you wonder, is it worth fighting any more at all? And you find yourself tired and physically exhausted Charles Haddon Spurgeon and his wonderful book, Lectures to My Students. I bought it whenever I was in Australia about 20 years ago. And I remember reading it from time to time, maybe getting away and going down to the seaside or some other place and just sitting for half an hour or an hour just to get the head cleared and reading Lectures to My Students. There's a wonderful chapter in the book entitled, The Minister's Fainting Fits. And Charles Spurgeon speaks to his young students and he says, knowing by most painful experience what deep depression of spirit means, being visited therein with seasons, at seasons by no means few or far between, I thought it might be consolatory to some of my brethren if I gave my thoughts thereon, that younger men might not fancy that some strange thing had happened to them when they became for a season possessed with mel- melancholy or discouragement. And then at the end of the the, the lecture, he says, cast the burden of the present along with the sin of the past and the fear of the future upon the Lord who forsaketh not as saints. Live by the day, by the hour. Put no trust in frames and in feelings. Cast more or care more for a grain of faith than a ton of excitement. Trust in God alone and lean not on the needs of human help. Be not surprised when friends fail you. It is a failing world. Continue with double earnestness to serve your Lord and no more visible results before you. Come fair or foul, the pulpit is our watchtower and the ministry our warfare. It is ours. We cannot see the face. When we cannot see the face of our God, it is better to trust under the shadow of His wings. Maybe you feel like that sometimes. You feel that the battles waged are numerous, the giants faced are plenteous, the weakness manifested is serious, and then the discouragement suffered is so obvious. The discouragement suffered is obvious. David is tired, David is aged, David is weary, he's facing all of these battles, he's facing giants who want to kill him. And discouragement, I'm sure, was obvious. Friends, discouragement can come whenever we're tired. Discouragement can come whenever we're weary. Discouragement can rise up in the heat of the battle. Discouragement can come whenever the enemy is busy. The reasons for discouragement can be complex and manifold. Sometimes it can be physical. Sometimes it can be psychological. Sometimes it can be circumstantial. Sometimes it can be spiritual. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones was a medical doctor in Harley Street. And then he felt the call to the Christian ministry. And because of his medical expertise and his spiritual awareness and his theological knowledge, sometimes people came to him whenever they were discouraged or depressed. And he often said that sometimes people come to me And they have got spiritual symptoms of a physical malady. Sometimes they come and they've got physical symptoms of a spiritual malady. Sometimes their needs are entirely physical. And yet they're looking for a spiritual answer. Sometimes their needs are spiritual. And they come looking for a physical answer. And so it's important to get down to the root of the problem and discover what's giving rise to the discouragement or the depression. And he'll ask them questions, well, how is your diet? Do you have a balanced diet? Do you take time to rest? How many hours sleep do you get? Do you have a day of rest? Do you honor the Lord's day? Do Do you take a day to rest from your labors? And then if those things are in their place, He begins to delve into, well, what about your prayer life? What about your Bible reading? What about the condition of your heart? And it's important to get to the root of the problem. David has men around him who have got discernment. In verse number 17, the men of David swear on them, saying, Thou shalt go out no more with us to battle, that thou quench not the light of Israel. They're saying, David, you're needed at home. David, the battles that you once fought, are no longer battles that you need to fight. We can fight those battles. God maybe has got a different rule for you now, a different ministry for you now, and God has raised up men around about David to fight battles that David no longer needs to fight. The Lord said to his disciples in Mark 6 and 31 Come ye apart yourselves into a desert place and rest awhile. I think it was Warren Wearsby who once said sometimes the most spiritual thing a Christian can do is just have a rest. Just take a rest. And David needed a rest. The discouragement suffered can be obvious. Notice one other point. The steadfastness required can be glorious. Verse 15 says David waxed faint." But in verses 16 and 17, David was still there. He didn't flee, didn't run away from the face of the battle. He held his ground and at last God sent him relief by a series of four deliverers. The Word of God says there that Abishai not only slew the giant, but Abishai was a comforter, a comforter to David. It says that Abishai, verse number 17, smote the Philistine and killed him. And Abishai succoured David. He encouraged David. He helped him in verse number 17 and 18. And sometimes whenever the battle is raging, the Lord sends someone to comfort us. And that's why it's so important in the Christian life to get to know the Holy Spirit, the great comforter, Because you cannot and you dare not live the Christian life in the flesh. The Savior said to his disciples in John 14 and 15 and 16, I will send you another Comforter. And the Comforter, when he has come, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of truth, which the world cannot receive, he will guide you into all truth. And it's important to know the blessing of the Comforter, the Spirit of God in your life. And I believe it's as we're like David and we're steadfast and we're unmovable and we're always abounding in the work of God that the Comforter at last comes. That's why the Bible says to be steadfast, unmovable. Always abounding. Your work, your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Child of God, don't quit. Don't throw the towel in. Let your steadfastness be glorious and continue to stand for Christ, stand for truth, and walk with God. 1 Corinthians ten thirteen, Paul says to the church at Corinth, There is no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able, but will with the temptation also make a way of escape, that ye may be able to bear it. At last, God sends relief. God's a great deliverer. God is faithful. He allows us to be tempted. He allows us to be tried and tested because a faith that cannot be tested dare not be trusted. But He will not allow you to be tempted above that that ye are able. Even the Son of God in the Garden of Gethsemane, as He was praying, And facing the great Goliath of the curse of God upon sin, the great Goliath of the cross, he said, my soul is exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. The Bible says that the Lord sent an angel from heaven to strengthen our Lord, even there in the garden of Gethsemane. When it seems there is no let-up, the battle's wage can be numerous, The giants faced can be plenteous. The weakness manifested can be serious. The discouragement suffered can be obvious. But the steadfastness required can be glorious. And then in closing, the faithfulness exercised can be victorious. David engaged with the first giant. But under God the victory was wrought by other men. We read about four other men who came along and helped David and took the battle out of his hands, as it were. In verse 17, we read about Abishai, one of David's most loyal men, and he slew the first giant. Verse 18, we read about Sibachai, one of David's military generals, and he slew the second giant. Verse 19, we read about Elhanan, a warrior from Bethlehem. He slew the third giant. And then in verse 21 we read about Jonathan, not the son of Saul, but another Jonathan. And he slew the fourth and the largest giant. And it seems that David has been faithful. But David is poor and needy. And the Lord raises up people around David to help him and to take his burdens and to fight on David's behalf. John Bunyan wrote from a prison cell concerning the child of God no lion can him fight he'd with a giant fight but he will have a right to be a pilgrim. Maybe you're facing giants and lions today God is faithful and God raised up men to help David win the victory. These men supported David and the Bible says in Galatians that the Christian is to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Friends, that's why prayer is so important. That's why it's so imperative, if possible, to get along to the place of prayer and to pray for other Christians, to pray for those who are serving the Lord, to pray for other believers who are maybe discouraged and downcast. Don't be selfish with your prayer life. Pray for others. Bear the burdens of others in your prayer life and pray in the closet and get along to the prayer meeting and pray for others. These men supported David. These men also hazarded their own lives. They got involved. They didn't say, well, David's more experienced than us. God will help David. But they took up the sword themselves and they put their armor on themselves and they got involved and they fought the fight. Moses said to a certain group within the children of Israel in Numbers 32.6, Shall ye sit here, and shall your brethren go to war? Can I make an appeal for you to get involved in the work of God? Get involved in prayer. Support the ministry of your local church. Get along to the prayer meetings if you can. Support the gospel services. Get involved in some way. It might seem to be ever so small, but it's vital That you get involved to support the work of God. To uphold those who are in the front lines of the battle. To get behind them and to uplift the bloodstained banner of the cross. These men that are spoken of here were no bigger than other men. They were not giants in and of themselves but as they fought the battle, God gave them victory over the giants. And maybe, just maybe, in 1 Samuel 17, they had heard about David's great victory over Goliath. They'd followed in his footsteps. They'd sought to have a testimony like his. And as they followed suit, God likewise gave them the victory. The chapter begins with the poor testimony of King Saul that led to bondage and defeat. The chapter ends with the good testimony of King David that ended in success and in victory. What type of testimony are we leaving behind? Praise God, there is victory in the Christian life. There's victory in battle. There's victory over the giants. Maybe it seems in your life that there's no let up. I encourage you, stand steadfast in the Lord. Exercise faith. Put on the armor. And let's support each other. Let's encourage each other. Let's pray for each other. Let's pray that the work of God will advance. Let's pray that God will give us times of fruitfulness. Let's endeavor to go through with God and put our lives upon the altar.